Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Alright guys, the NFC has two teams fighting for that seventh seed, and I want to know which team you got. Trey, heads or tails? Heads. Flip, 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 flip. Looks like his heads. Alright, give me the ball, let's do it. Alright man. So we got two teams fighting for that spot. We got the 49ers, and they're plus four this weekend, and they allegedly have the easiest path to the playoffs. Win, and they're in. But they're visiting the Rams, and uh, the Rams are playing for that division title and that home playoff game, so we'll see. And then we got the Saints minus four and a half. They have to beat the Falcons in Atlanta, and they need the Niners to lose. Trey, who you got? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll give. I'll take the 49ers. Uh, just cause, uh, they're in the driver's seat right now. Um, there's a chance they pull off that upset, right? So, uh, they could, they could do it. And even if they don't, they still get in with the saints loss, which is definitely possible. Uh, so yeah, I like San Francisco's chances. All right, Derek. All right. So like Mitch said, San Francisco allegedly has the easiest path because they're in control of their destiny, but even if it's two things have to happen for the saints, I think those two things are you know, pretty likely to happen, uh, at least according to these Vegas odds that Mitch gave us. So yeah, give me the Saints. Uh, I'm not excited about it. I would rather have the 49ers uh, be in that seventh spot for the NFC. But I think the Saints are going to beat the Falcons. I'm pretty sure Trey agrees. And uh, I'm, I, I think the Rams are 100% going to beat the 49ers this weekend. I, I do like the Saints this week. Uh, we'll, we'll get more to that later. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that the 49ers have the win advantage, uh, you know, less has to go right for them for them to get it. So uh, yeah. Right, right. Do we know who's starting at quarterback for the Niners this weekend? Do we know if it's Trey Lance? If it's Lance, then I'll double down on that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, Lance... You know, I mean, he is a rookie, like in both of his starts, he's made rookie mistakes. You see some of those throws he made, I mean, and obviously what he can do with his legs, like his ceiling compared to Jimmy G is just astronomical and uh, would have been really cool to see him play all year instead of Jimmy G fumbling around out there like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. maybe they wouldn't be playing for a, a play-in game here in week 18 if he had been getting a few more starts this maybe. year. Maybe. Well, they're not going to get it. I, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. They're not, they're not getting it, man. There's no way. The, the Rams the Rams are going to take him out. I, I think you guys, I think you're crazy, Trey. All right, yeah. we'll see. I mean, but like Trey said... It, the even if the Rams take them out, you know, if the if the Saints lose to the Falcons, which the Falcons are one of those weird teams that can just like do it for pride. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, division games, guys. Anything goes. Anything goes. That is the narrative, isn't it? I love the narrative this time of year. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host with the most, Tarek Angry Tsiban Shuya. With me today, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates, two weeks in a row, we're, we're missing our J5 underscores Alexander friend, but we'll, we'll soldier on. Guys, what's going on? And it's uh, that time of year where you're hunting down all the league mates who didn't pay their league dues <laughs> back in August. 
like, <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> I got to pay this dude a couple hundred bucks. Where's your money, man? <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. We're, we're transitioning into off-season mode. Uh, fantasy season is over. So uh, I do always enjoy uh, NFL playoffs, though. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, the Week 18 action and seeing how it all shakes out. Yeah, NFL playoffs, I guess that's going to be DFS time because, yeah, even these days, like, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm excited that they're going to be in the playoffs, but I don't know. I'm so into fantasy at this point that I get less enjoyment out of playoff games now, you know? I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) I mean, to a certain extent, it's nice to watch football without any ulterior motives, but I don't know. I'm sad. I'm sad that the fantasy season is ending. You need some you know? skin in the game, man. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because you didn't take home as many ships as your boy over here did. Because I feel great. I want to sit on my laurels, as you call them, and watch some playoff football, baby. <laughs> How many ships did you take there, Mitch? Only one in Dynasty, unfortunately. But two in a redraft. I got a what? I get a third place somewhere. Who cares? But the money was pretty good this year. Feel pretty good. Well done, man. I was able to more than break e- even money-wise because I got two relatively nice second-place prizes, but nobody cares about those silver medals. What can I say? Oh, I just no. flexed a bronze, baby. I care a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of fantasy championships, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention that the Long Games Show League champion this year is Trent Frederick. So we want to congratulate Trent and spend a little bit of time talking about the show league. So, you know, Trent was one of the top two teams all year. He took down the top team on the year in terms of points for. So it was one of those games where the two most dominant teams in the league made it to the final, which is kind of what you like to see, and they duked it out. Uh, Trey, what did you think about the show league this year? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, congrats, Trent. Well done, man. Uh, I... uh I played against uh, Corey and uh, got beat pretty bad in the semifinals, so I didn't get to make that championship matchup against Trent. But, uh, you know, his team is, uh, he he said it, he's got the old quarterbacks. He's got Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So it was good he got his championship in when he did because, uh, you know, Rodgers probably only has like one or two years left and Brady's probably only got like five or six left. So, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that age window is closing quick. He went with the double stack here, the Rodgers and the Devontae Adams. That's right, Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Which, uh, like, at the time, if you recall, both of both of them, because we did the startup this this offseason, so both of their status were a little up in the air. So he was able to snag both of those players at a relative discount. Yeah. And so it was impressive that he got the quarterbacks as late as he did. And I think the most impressive thing to me is uh, the fact that he won it and lost Christian McCaffrey along the way. Right. Uh, one thing I hate hearing is like, oh, I would have had it, but then Henry went down or I would have had it, but then CMC went down. No, nah, like I, I, I got it. And that player went down. That's a flex. That's yeah, that's what's up. So congrats yeah. on that. Yeah. And it's interesting to me. He kept CMC on the roster. You know, he yeah, never, trade uh, never traded him, never tried to get, you know, more value elsewhere in the lineup, which is, uh, you know, it sets him up real nicely for next year for sure. Most listeners aren't going to care about this, but I did almost give him Jonathan Taylor uh, in a package to get CMC and Joe Mixon back, essentially. Um, so but you traded I, him to me instead. I instead traded him to Trey for DeAndre Swift in a 2023 first. Uh, and Trey also got Sony Michelle out of that deal. So, yeah. But, yeah. So, write it down, everybody. 
So you remember. <laughs> Before we move on off of the show league, I do want to give some props to Corey. We mentioned after our uh, startup draft that Corey had a great draft because he just kept taking value after value when it came to veterans almost every round. And because of that, he built a really dominant team. It was the number one point scoring team. I thought he was going to run away with the championship. He just kind of caught a bad beat in the final, and that's how it happens. So, you know, shout out to Corey, but congratulations, Trent. All right, so moving on, let's kick off this first half. What are we going to be talking about in this episode? First, we're going to talk about our biggest misses of the 2021 season and how we're adjusting our process based on those misses. And then in the second half, we'll turn to patting ourselves on the back and we'll talk about some of our biggest hits of the year. But let's kick off the first half with our biggest misses. And Trey, we're going to you first. All right, cool. So this was not in the show league, but this was a guy I had in a couple different places. And uh, he was a huge miss for me. And that was LaVisca Chenault, the uh, second year wide receiver down in uh, Jacksonville. And Man, he got a lot of hype last offseason, and I was drinking the Kool-Aid. So I made two different trades for him last offseason. Uh, in our, our main home league, I, I swapped uh, with Mitch. I gave up uh, Miles Sanders for uh, Visca and some draft capital back in around April, March or April or so. And it was a rebuilding roster, so really not a terrible trade at the time. doesn't look too bad right now. Uh, but in another league, I ended up uh, trading Cooper Cup for Visca straight up uh, back in about August. And that was a borderline contending roster with not a lot of draft capital. So I was kind of looking for upside there, but that just looks terrible in retrospect. Uh, so, you know, I mean, my idea was like Cup was aging. He was probably going to be like a wide receiver too on the downtrend. And and Visca was just on the edge to make that jump into superstardom. And uh, clearly that, that didn't work out because... Uh, you know, Visca had a bad year, really bad year. He was, uh, he had really, really bad uh, touchdown regression. So it looks a little bit worse than it really was. He had zero touchdowns on 92 targets, but he was also just really bad in general. If you look at his stats, like his target share, his air yard share, his yards per route run, all of those stats were outside the top 50 wide receivers. So he was like not startable in any context or any, any format at all. So Thinking about why I got that so wrong and what I'm going to do different going forward, uh, part of it's probably going to be an adjustment in how I evaluate some of these vets and just lean a little bit more on history and a little bit more on range of outcomes. Because if you think about that Visca for Cup trade, I mean, Cup was only, what, four years older? So that's all I'm saving in terms of uh, age. But Cup had that top five season under his belt already. And I think we all would have agreed in August that it was way more likely he was going to do it than Visca, who had never done it before. So you got to, you know, factor in, you know, that history and, and, you know, bring that into that evaluation. But this is also going to change how I look at these pre-breakout players as well. So there's a, a question that I'm going to post to you guys, and it's around Rondale Moore, who I think fits a similar mode or model of player as LaVisca Chenault. You know, he's a low... Uh, average depth of target guy, low ADOC guy, and a second round pick. Uh, kind of like another guy who had a huge breakout this year, Debo Samuel. So I think there's a question, is Rondale Moore going to be more like Debo Samuel in his second year? Or is he going to be more like LaVisca Chenault? And I'm probably going to wait for the hype to build and sell on Rondale Moore where I have him. Because I think if you look at his profile and you look at those receiving stats that I called up earlier, his target share, his air yard share, his yards per route run, 
These are all sticky stats that are really great for these wide receiver comps. I think Rondale looks a lot more like Visca than he does Devo. So um, I'm going to adjust my process accordingly, and I'm going to, you know, use what I know about these players pre-breakout, uh, you know, to go into my offseason evaluations. I mean, it's funny because I feel like I'm going to talk about Rondale more here, more than your reaction to LaVisca Chenault, but th- that's the lesson or what we're trying to take into this offseason is what do we do with a guy like Rondale more? Right. Um, so I, I think you know, the cop-out answer that I'm going to have is I would expect Rondale Moore to be the median oh, outcome between Debo Samuel and LaVisca Chanel. Well, that was my answer. Right? I mean, <laughs> what what else can you say? Like, because Debo Samuel is a top five wide receiver right now, and LaVisca Chenault is outside of the top 50, right? So, you know, I, I think Rondale Moore, what we've seen when he has had a little bit of opportunity is that he's explosive, right? And maybe we saw a little bit of that of LaVisca as well, but I think Rondell Moore in his own right is probably just more explosive than LaVisca Chenault. Rondell Moore also had that pristine college profile. Um, Visca's was, was good, but not quite as dominant, right? So uh, yeah, I mean, that's a cop-out answer, but I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'll I'll lean I'll lean a little harder toward Debo, but I will still say I will stay in the middle here, and that's based on the tape. Rondale looked great in spurts, and he also has the advantage of being on the Cardinals, who have just a, an incredibly explosive offense, and they use all of the wide receivers in that offense. So there's not really a guy like an alpha or at least there wasn't this year as where who knows what's going on in jacksonville so that that's why he's got to stay in the middle at least because i think that the situation will keep him afloat as where the situation just sunk chenault even though chenault also played pretty bad last year yeah and i'm, I'm starting to think about you know back on why uh i was so in on lavisca chenault in the last offseason and you know, I was definitely caught up in some of that offseason hype too, and just that echo chamber that happens and, you know, Dynasty Twitter. And, you know, there's a couple of good articles out there that were singing his praises. But, um, I mean, just looking at the comps here on these guys' rookie years, uh, you know, Debo Samuel was an 18% target share guy, 21.5% air yard share player as a rookie. And people were ragging on him for being a low A dot gadget guy. Whereas like LaVisca, especially though, Trey, yeah. especially though after for Debo, it was after his second year. Yeah, that's well, what second... that's what his Debo's first year was great. And then his second year, his role completely changed. And then it went it went back to what it was in the first year. Right. Yeah. So I do. I do think we had reason to be concerned about Debo after the second year. But the difference is Debo had that first year, um, which should have tempered us. His second year, he still, you know, he only ran like what, like 100 routes or something like on the on the season, maybe less than that. Like he only Mm -hmm. played half the season. He still cleared two yards per route run, which is something that, you know, Visca and Rondell Moore have yet to do. So interesting. Even in his worst year, it was better than uh, any season that these other two guys have done. So, Trey, what do you even do with LaVisca Chenault at this point? I mean, you you pretty much stuck with him, right? Like, aside from releasing his ass. There's, no, like, I mean, I mentioned the touchdown. I mentioned the touchdown regression earlier. So, I, if anything, he's a buy at this point because exactly, his value yeah. couldn't be lower, right? Um, but if you look at where he is now compared to last offseason, I mean, he's lost so much value uh, for your dynasty team that uh, you kind of just have to hold at this point. 
So he's a buy, but he's but you're not like exactly at the store searching for him, right? Well, absolutely not. I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> give up more than like a a late third at this point. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I I do wish John was here because John had LaVisca Chenault in the preseason ranked at wide receiver 49. So yeah. he was way below us. He was way below the market and he just hated LaVisca Chenault. So uh, we'll have to get his kind of victory lap on that when he gets back on the show at some point in the future. Maybe, maybe an early third. I don't know. I'll, let me think on that one. Man. He's got a regression in his favor. Uh, okay, let's move on to my biggest miss of the season. And there were a lot of them. Okay. Like I was high on Trey Sermon, you know, Ugh, I, I was much higher on Brandon mm. Ayuk than I should have been, but we'll talk about that next week. So there's a lot of misses, you know, we all had a lot of misses, but the biggest one I think in terms of value is that I panic sold Cam Akers and Travis Etienne everywhere I had them, even though I knew I knew that their value would creep up over time. So I think that's where I took the biggest value hits in my roster insofar as I was in control of moving or holding them. Like once they got injured, I was able to make that decision. And I think I just made a hasty one. So for instance, in the TLG show league, I traded Cam Akers for a 2024 first. And there were a few other swaps in there that makes it seem less bad, but I just want to focus on that swap Akers for a 2024 first. Right now, he is worth so much more than that. And the 2024 first isn't really going to see a big value boost for at least another year. So I kind of delayed my peak value horizon in terms of value on my roster by at least a year and maybe even more. Uh, kind of depends on how that 2024 class shakes out in perception. So I was worried about Cam Akers' Achilles injury. It's a scary injury, but I should have known that there would be sell opportunities in the future for more than that single 2024 first. And with Travis Etienne, in one league, I traded Etienne away for Chris Carson. I, it was it was like I traded him away for a first, and then I traded that first to Trey for Chris Carson, actually. And I did this because I wanted to compete now, fully knowing that Carson was a risky asset. So perhaps that's more defensible given I was a contender in that league, but in hindsight, obviously pretty fucking terrible. Now, the lesson is, I think, and we talked about this recently, when players hit a value floor post-injury, especially if they're young, pretty expensive assets, you cannot sell these players. You can't listen to the hordes of people out there telling you they'll never be the same because whether or not they're, they will be, I think those people are ignoring the more lucrative sell opportunities that kind of inevitably inevitably arise in the future. So, for instance, don't sell Chris Godwin at his value floor that's going to come in the next month or so. And to a lesser extent than Chris Godwin, because Godwin is an elite player, James Robinson, who's a good player, but he's going to hit a pretty scary floor recently. And maybe we'll see that go up, you know, so when they get there to that floor, hold. That's I think that's where I lost so much value is I just panic sold injured players. Well, I think the reason that you did that, at least from my perspective here, is that these injuries happened really, really early, like almost well, actually before the season even started. So at this phase, you were still trying to build said contender. But well, OK, yeah, but here's where it gets really bad. I mean, I think the ETN for Chris Carson was kind of defensible, given I was a contender. But when I traded away Cam Akers for that 2024 first, it was part of a move into a rebuild. Right. 
So that was a bad move. Like if I was going to go for the rebuild, I should have had the foresight to know that in six months, in four months or whatever, where we are now, Cam Akers is going to be worth a lot more than a 2024 first. So Mitch, I do appreciate you trying to rehabilitate my image there a little bit, but yeah, I, that was a bad move. Oh no, I was actually trying to make that image worse. So I was bringing up, (laughs) (laughs) I was bringing up that you were calling your team a contender in the preseason. And you were going for guys like Chris Carson in the preseason for a guy like ETN. And well, my team, my team in that league was very good. So and I think the lesson that I'm taking from this, though, is that like you still should have waited. You have to wait. You should have waited at least a couple of games into the season. Yeah. You know, just just to see how your team actually really is before just pushing in all your chips. That's that's what I took away from what you were saying. And and yeah. Mitch, I think the waiting gives you the benefit too of kind of timing that bottom out of value as well, right? Because you could it gives you that time to figure out if whether or not you're a contender, but it also lets you see how far that bottom is really going to go uh, when these guys get hurt and the end market like way overcorrects one direction. I mean, that's Tarek, you know this better than anyone. That's the perfect time that you should be making offers for those guys, you know, not yeah. looking to sell them. So we know that the market always overcorrects when there's these unfortunate injuries, which are just unfor- like, unfortunately, a uh, fact of football. So, um, yeah, I mean, selling when guys are at their lowest value possible is, you know, not going to net uh, value into your lineup long term. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so there, that's that's what I think my primary perception was maybe I was worried about a setback and I was like, you know, if I can get a first round pick back, then that's liquid that even if I'm going into a 2023 rebuild, having a 2024 first would be helpful for that, you know, long term. And it was just it was galaxy brain, right? I, I should have just like held for a couple of months knowing that I could probably get, you know, a 2022 first or a 2023 first at worst for Cam Akers now with his value kind of shooting back up. He was a he was a full participant in practice this week, wasn't he? It, absolutely insane yeah Um, incredible (laughs) not not what you'd expect at all after achilles yeah i mean look like we we talked about this last week with james robinson you know who had an amazing week last week mitch knows deontay foreman Mm -hmm. he looked great last week that was like probably the best game of his career you know he's post achilles injury so it's looking better. He's actually had three games this year over 100 yards, and those are the first three games of his career that he's done that, wow. which Crazy. is yeah. incredible. So, yeah, you got to be excited, man. you got to be excited about Acres in the playoffs. I, I'm excited. I know this is a tangent here, and we're way off the rails. That's, but, that's what we do, baby. Uh, does that kind of, like, devalue Derrick Henry, though? The fact that, like, Deontay Foreman came in here and, like, has put Are up, you like, mad? Yard... No, 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 no way. But, like, the, the offense, not not as a fantasy player, but, like, the offense as a whole is, like, essentially as effective now as it was, like... It's not Henry. as effective Oh, now. no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't oh, go that poor far. Poor Tannehill is just... It's reasonably effective. ...is begging and pleading the king to come back and sit on his throne, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm as as let's try to get off of this tangent and get back on the rails. So we're talking about our biggest misses of this year. And Mitch, let's go to you. Oh, man. All right. It's time to eat crow on this one. Let's talk about James Conner for a little bit. Uh, This year, I focused more on talent over situation as a building block for my dynasty teams. And, you know, I still believe in that core principle. But the lesson I learned here is sometimes you need to err on the side of situation. And that's not all the time or most of the the time. But 
the world isn't black and white. And if there's an anomaly, it's okay to want to seize that and root for it. Um, but yeah, brings me to James Conner. I've been calling him the Terminator for a while because I thought the Terminator's name was James Conner and not John Conner. But I don't watch that <laughs> shit, so sue me. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I'm no, I'm by no means a James Conner fan now either. Uh, I was just way fucking off this preseason. Uh, I had him ranked at 60. And uh, I think that ranking netted exactly zero shares in every single league, redraft, dynasty, or otherwise. And I think I think those fades were valid. Um, after his 2018 RB7 overall, he had two RB2 or RB3 seasons with some injuries. Steelers let him walk. Talent-wise, I don't think he's a great player. Uh, he's not necessarily really big or really fast. Like, he's okay. He's a touchdown-dependent asset. He gets banged up when he handles the bulk of the workload. So situation-wise, Chase Edmonds was already on the roster, and he went to Arizona. Figured he'd be running back 1B with without the pass-catching upside. So just meh. And then fast-forward to a couple weeks ago, right before the fantasy playoffs, I was like, sell now, uh, James Conner. Uh, but yeah, I still, sell, I still stand by that, too, because we skipped all that time in between where I sat on my hands and hoped that Conner would regress. So I rooted against the guy because I wanted to be right, and... I, I didn't like that he was being as successful as he was. And eventually Connor became valued high enough to sell. And that's when I was like, all right, he's a sell. But I did miss my chance to buy low or even buy medium because of my stubbornness to my priors. And it's not that the priors were necessarily incorrect. It's that they were just blinding me from getting the only thing right, which is getting those fantasy points in my lineup, and getting a guy like that on my team. Mm -hmm. So I was much more forgiving for dudes like CPAT uh, Cordero Patterson, or um, even dudes like Melvin Gordon, who was kind of in a similar situation, but worse. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm down to backtrack this one. In the future, I'm going to be less scared off of a average player that's overachieving because he's in a great situation. But this this kind of mentality is only going to apply in season. I still don't think I would have jumped over a guy like James Conner in the off season. So, I, he was a great buy at early in the season once we saw some of that in red zone work he was an even better buy you know last may when he was going for like two third round picks you know so obviously that would have been the time to get him um one of the things that really jumped out to me about this mitch is uh you said you had him at running back 60 which is crazy to me because there's only 32 teams in the NFL. So you're essentially saying that like out of all of the number two running backs in the league, he was like at the bottom five of like all of the number two running backs, which like you could just look at the situation of the league and just sanity check that and kind of know, okay, that's not true. But I, I, I don't know. I guess the point here is, uh, yeah, I do think situation does play a factor. I do still agree with you. I think talent over situation is the right way to approach the game um, and whether or not you should be buying guys like Connor when they pop a couple years into the season. Yes and no, uh, because, you know, if you did buy into him, then yeah, you would have got those points this year. I'd still think he's a depreciating asset and probably a guy who's a sell candidate going into this off season, but I haven't updated my rank since, uh, since the season wrapped yeah. up yet. Yeah, and I, I did mention that he's a sell now, and there's just right. that there's that point in season that, and I, I agree with what you're saying, like, I, I tend to fade a depreciating asset as well, but at some point, like, I, I got to cut that mentality out and just get a player that's going to actually put those points in my roster. 
And these players have a, just a different kind of value to me. And so as where I don't want it to be true, I don't want James Conner to be lighting me up on somebody else's team because he's an appreciating asset and I don't like him. But at yeah. the same time, like I could have this guy on my team and I can have guys like this on my team if I buy them at the right time. So well, you, you definitely weren't the only one, man. Like the entire market was really, really low on James Conner uh, going into this season. So you definitely were not the only guy fading him. I didn't have any shares of Conner either. So, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about this whole kind of insight here is is the the bit on, OK, we we generally like talent over situation we say to fade situation and bet on talent and whether you're betting on talent through film or analytic profile you know whatever but what mitch is saying is that sometimes there is a good situation that's producing fantasy points that you need to recognize within a couple of weeks and then jump on um and it seems like connor was one of those players so i'm get i'm trying to figure out how this can work in the future. And I know we don't know where guys are going to sign, but I'm trying to imagine a situation in which like Ronald Jones signs with the New York Jets, right? So he's signing with a team that has a running back two that we really like in Michael Carter, right? Whereas Chase Edmonds was like a high-end running back three that we liked reasonably. But within the first couple of weeks, we see that Ronald Jones is getting really high value touches. He's kind of seeming like the 1A to Michael Carter's 1B. Would that be like a situation that you'd want to jump on? Or is that not good enough of a situation than the New Jersey Jets? So real quick, Ronald Jones has never had the top 10 running back season that James Conner has. And so I just want to, you know, stick up for James Conner a little bit there. Okay, well, what about the the actual uh, running back there in uh, Tampa Bay? Um, if we don't forget there, Leonard Fournette was cut by the Jags, and a lot of people were fading him like crazy too. And he did have that top yeah top season yeah. as well. Yeah. So no, Leonard Connor. Leonard Fournette equals James Connor equals Sony Michelle maybe like you know look they're not sexy names is what I'm saying like Cordero Cordero Patterson was not a sexy name at first. He, he just wasn't. It was kind of a joke. We were thinking it was just going to be a blip. Like, Connor, we just kept saying, ah, oh, well, touchdown regression, it's going to happen. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then when you're playing against him, you're like, fuck, I'm playing against James Connor this week. So, like, yeah. I'm just saying there there is a buy window, and it's slammed shut now. I'm looking back on the season going, okay, well, I wish I didn't hate him as much as I did. Is there a way that I can possibly just dig through that and see why I hated him so much and if there was a way that I could actually push that aside push my priors aside and put a you know I'm not saying send the push all your chips in for this guy but there was a point where he was cheap enough to do that and the other the other thing is too is you can it's it's tough to do but you can somewhat directionally figure out what the pace of these offenses is going to be and you know who's going to be running a lot of plays and who isn't uh, to some degree, right? Like it's not super sticky year to year, but I don't think anybody would be surprised if uh, we told you, you know, Arizona was going to be top five in the league and plays run at the beginning of the season, you know? And so when you've got a potential wagon like offense like that, then yeah, it makes sense to go after the super cheap running back that has a top 10 uh, season in his back pocket already, you know? Um, right, so right. maybe that's what you look for. You look for those potential wagons, those high volume offenses and go for the cheaper running back in that situation yeah i mean this is essentially a uh, a lesson or a take that i want to bookmark for next year 
and think about like if we see a similar situation arise with you know a cheap free agent running back that comes in and starts taking a significant amount of the work because you know that would be maybe a situation in which we could learn from history that we learned from Leonard Fournette and then James Conner. Um, I'm not saying Sony Michelle is going to be the same thing, but it, it's looking eerily similar. The difference is they've got a big uh, dude named Cam Akers coming back, so uh, that kind of separates that situation. We love Akers here. Mike check for it is halftime. All right. So, uh, like I said, the second half is going to be a big patting ourselves on the back session. Uh, but let's start it early because <laughs> in week 17, uh, we hit our parlay for the third time this year. Let's go. We let's did. go. So, boom. Boys. So, you know, in terms of money, we go further and further into the black on the year. Oh, you do. Um, that puts it. Yeah, just me because I'm the only one who lives in Illinois. But that puts us at 36 and 32 overall on the season at about 53%. So, look, the worst that we could do overall on the year is an even 500 if we go 0 and 4 next week. But that ain't going to happen. No, so, sir. Nope. Quick recap. Uh of our records, I am 12 and 5, Mitch and Trey are 9 and 8, and John is 6 and 11. You know I had to throw in the records because it's just a weekly flex on my part, right? And John's. <laughs> Who? <laughs> just to remind our listeners, in our halftime segment, we pick one game against the spread for the upcoming week, and I, in Illinois, place a bet on a parlay of those four picks. Um, so this is the third time in 17 weeks that we've hit that parlay. Mitch, let's start with you and your pick for this final week. Let's do it. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals minus six and a half. They got a home game against the Seahawks for the division title. They win it. They win the division. I think they're going to beat the shit out of the Seahawks, man. The The cards look good. Uh, they look pretty good last week. I don't know if you guys saw that, but they look good. Indeed, I did see it. Uh, they looked they looked pretty good. The The Cowboys definitely looked completely out of sync, especially in the offensive end. But the Seahawks have been out of sync pretty much every week except for that Lions game. So I don't hate it. Mitch, you, you know I didn't see it. No, I know you didn't. <laughs> I know Tarek did, though. Trey does not watch the games. All Even right. though I don't watch the games, I can make a parlay pick, and I'm going to lock in the New Orleans Saints four-and-a-half-point favorites at Falcons. Give me that road favorite with the playoffs on the line. I just think the Saints defense is really, really good. And I don't think the Falcons are going to be able to cover four and a half points against that defense. So uh, this is a bet on that defense traveling on the road and getting it done against a division rival. So, yeah, they they always say defense travels, right? Well, I am going with another favorite in the NFC South. I am taking the Bucks minus eight at home against the Panthers. Hmm. And it's because the Panthers blow. Mm -hmm. They suck. And I know the Bucks just got taken to the wire by the Jets. But now that they've got that out of their system, I think we're going to see them beat the Panthers by 20 points this week. I like it. I like it. Who are they going to throw it to, though? It, definitely not Antonio Brown. I mean, they're going to... They're, <laughs> Tyler they're, I, Johnson. Yeah, I mean, who is it, Cyril Grayson or whatever? Like, Tom Brady's making him a star the last two weeks. Like... Tom Brady's going to figure it out. The Panthers are bad. You know, the Bucks are at home. They Th are. This is going to be a blowout. I'm telling you. Is Gronk healthy? 
he's reasonably healthy. I think the only, I mean, I guess the Bucks could sit their starters. I, that's the one one thing that could throw a wrench in this plan. But I don't think that's advantageous to him. But the Bucks almost lost to the Jets last week, and the oh, that's that what I just said. Yeah, I just said that. I'm just that saying means they're due, Mitch. The, yeah, that means they're due to beat the shit out of a horrible team. <laughs> so. I hate it. Who's going to do John? Okay, I'll do John. Hey, John. Uh, so we got the Pats minus six and a half at the Dolphins. He likes that New England hometown team. Okay. Oh, but they're on the road in Miami. Uh, yeah, they'll probably travel pretty good. Here's what John texted the group. He said, give me the team played for the division title versus the team playing for nothing. Kind of like you, Mitch. You liked your strategy there. Yeah. It's a good strategy. That's there. the exact the exact same reasoning he used for the Chargers versus the Texans when the Texans blew the Chargers out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, we're going with four favorites this week. Mitch has got the cards minus six and a half at home against the Seahawks. Trey's going with the New Orleans Saints minus four and a half at the Atlanta Falcons. I've got the Buccaneers minus eight at home against the Panthers, uh, a pick that Mitch hates. Hate it. And then John's got Patriots minus six and a half in Miami against the Dolphins. Four and oh, let's uh, let's finish out on another hit because my bank account would like that. Would be cool. Would be very cool. All right. Speaking of hits, let's kick off this second half and we're going to be talking about our biggest hits in the second half for 2021. And basically, what about our process was right here? And what are we just going to keep doing? So, Trey, let's start with you. Yeah, so I'm going to pat myself on the back for uh, the big fade that I put on Mike Davis back in August. Uh, that that paid a lot of dividends for me this year. And uh, some of you guys might have uh, already forgot about Mike Davis. Uh, I know he uh, really wasn't a factor for fantasy this year. But uh, going back to uh, August, there was a uh, an orphan team I took over last offseason. And I was able to move Mike Davis at peak hype along with his backup at the time, Wayne Gallman, who? Who? For a 2022 first-round pick, uh, which is looking really, really good uh, now going into the offseason. And uh, look, I was really fading on Mike Davis. I just didn't think he had a full 16 games uh, in him this year. Uh, I didn't think he could hold like that workhorse load, which meant that I had a lot of Cordero Patterson. In four out of my five leagues, I had Cordero Patterson shares which were super cheap last offseason. It was all last round picks and startups or waiver wire value. So uh, in three of those leagues, I was able to trade him for roughly first round value. And in the TLG show league, I rode him right into the playoffs uh, up until the semifinals. So look, the I think the big fade on Mike Davis was right. Uh, you know, it seems obvious, but he was a dead zone running back. And if you can trade a dead zone running back like him for a future first round pick, you should probably do that nine times out of 10. And it's nice when two or more of your strategies overlap. And and the reason I was targeting Cordero Patterson so heavily was I just, I love betting on these cheap upside uh, running back handcuffs. One, because they're super cheap. And two, they just offer big dividends in season when they hit, when you've got a starter who can't get the job done, uh, who isn't a difference maker in that offense. Uh, and I the other thing with, you know, these, um, these guys like Cordero Patterson is just, I like going after the ambiguous situations. It makes these guys cheaper. Uh, if you think back to last August, people were talking about Quadre Olison and Wayne Gallman up until like week three of the preseason. So, uh, it worked out well for me this year, kind of fading the vet who had never done it before. 
Uh, Cordero Patterson obviously worked out way better than I could have expected, but I'm going to continue, you know, fading these dead zone running backs and buying all the cheap upside handcuffs wherever I can get them. So Trey, who, who reminds you of Mike Davis? Like who else reminds you of Mike Davis or is, do we have to wait until somebody signs with a new team? Like, will you help define what a dead zone guy is for us? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess for those who may not be familiar, the dead zone is, you know, kind of taken from best ball and redraft, uh, fantasy strategy. So it's the idea that once you get into that late third, fourth, fifth, sixth round of running backs, people are just reaching on guys where they think there's going to be opportunity. And even though the guy may not be like the best talent. So Mike Davis absolutely fit that bill. You think back to August, he was going in like the fifth round of, of redrafts and even higher in some cases, just because the opportunity was there in Atlanta, even though he isn't like a difference maker as a running back talent, you know, that said, uh, Chris Carson is another guy looking back on, you know, Tarek brought him up earlier. This is another guy where I was in a league where I needed a little bit more draft capital. I was able to move him for a future first back in August before the season even started. That's looking really good now too. Just, and it's because, you know, you're just fading the fact that if something doesn't work out for that guy and he does get hurt, miss time, which happens to most running backs, it seems like every single year now, their value is just going to drop way, way off versus like the younger uh, expensive guys like Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, who are going to retain that value over time. Yeah. I mean, another player, that I think was in Mike Davis's league, although is a couple years younger, um, is Miles Gaskin, right? Yeah. So Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin were two guys that I was trashing all preseason, all offseason last year because their replacement level and they're very replaceable, right? And because both Atlanta and Miami got sniped by Denver for Javante Williams. Gaskin and Davis both kind of fell into value that they didn't deserve. And at least Gaskin gave you a couple of pop games, but both of them are just these players that have immense downside. For right. sure. Yeah. I think a I think a lesson we can learn in the process here is that during the the pre-draft process before they even drafted the rookies, we spotlighted the the Falcons and we spotlighted the Dolphins as like excellent landing spots for a running back. And we were just hoping and hoping that they would take somebody. And then when we when they didn't, we had already just assumed that it was a good spot for a running back and then just reallocated those thoughts for guys like Mike Davis or Miles Gaskin. I'm not right. saying I'm saying more like the collective we here, because yeah. I think here at here at the pod, we are all pretty low on uh, on Mike Davis. But I fell victim to the, the to the Gaskin thing in one league. And yeah, I mean, he, he's simply that he's just replacement level and he was replaced. So Miami and Atlanta are, I think, going to continue to be a big opportunity spot for running backs. Another one might be the Bills, right? I oh, mean, yeah, Devin Singletary, the they're probably the best spot for a for a rookie or free agent running back. I mean, Devin Singletary has been playing out of his mind the last couple of weeks, and Zach Moss has fallen off. That was another huge miss by me. I think about halfway through the season, I, I said, you should go buy Zach Moss because it looks like they want him to be the guy. And just as that happened, it was Matt Breida, and then it was Devin Singletary. Right. So, But, I mean, you know, what happens What happens if no running back goes there, right? Are we going to be really high on Singletary, or 
Like, what's the difference in that situation? Well, as we said in the preseason, the running back one there is Josh Allen until they actually fill that running back one role, in my opinion. Yeah, these last four or five weeks has been Devin Singletary has been off the chain, yeah, right? But but the rumor mill for uh, for Buffalo is that they get Saquon Barkley this offseason. Whoa, well that would be that would be fun. Would that be would fun. be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end this segment on that note. Saquon Barkley, please go to the Buffalo Bill. Bills. All right. Let's move on to my biggest hit and look. I, I started the first segment about how I had a lot of misses and I'm going to say I found this a lot harder to come up with because in general, it's just easier to find all the places you fucked up, but I will find a way to pat myself on the back. So there's two receivers who I feel I and us as a group more generally did not panic on early in the season. And that was T Higgins and Elijah Moore. So Elijah Moore's value took a really big hit in the middle part of the season. He was hovering around wide receiver 40 for much of October, according to Keep Trade Cut. But we said a few times on the pod, uh, especially in that overtime segment, to be patient and not sell Elijah Moore. Then once he started performing with those backup quarterbacks, his value shot up into that top 20 range. And he's about wide receiver 17 right now on Keep Trade Cut, which is actually a few spots higher than I have him. So Elijah Moore, we didn't panic, and I think that paid dividends. Now, T. Higgins, he dipped down to about wide receiver 25 when he was simply not scoring touchdowns, and Trey gestured to the fact back then that his scoring was due to regress. And as we mentioned last week in our discussion about the Bengals, that regression hit extremely hard. Higgins, for me, never fell out of my top 15 receivers, and he's a wide receiver one now, and the market agrees. So, you know, the the lesson from this is easy. Young receivers with elite draft capital and elite college profiles are not players that you give up on easily or fade early. I do think we're past the point of the third year breakout for receiver. You know, we expect something in year one and a leap in year two. Now that, you know, we're in 2022, you know, I say third year breakout because that was like 10 years ago. It's like you got to wait until their third year. But yeah. You know, both Elijah Moore and T. Higgins were giving us good reasons to be patient with them. And I'm glad I was because my dynasty portfolio is full of Elijah Moore and T. Higgins. So, yeah, go me. Those golden rules are so stupid, though. Uh, they're archaic at this point. I, like, like you said, we expect to see something year one, at least a glimpse of what we want to see moving forward. And uh, Trey likes to point out the, the face planners all the time, like... They're pretty easy to identify as well. So, yeah, with Elijah Mitchell, like once he started putting on a clinic and Elijah was, Moore, Elijah Moore, not Mitchell, Elijah Moore, once he started putting up a clinic, uh, putting up multiple touchdown games with, like you said, backup quarterbacks, man, like, yeah, that, that gave you the glimpse. I, I feel like that's all I need to see with him moving forward just to keep him in high praise. Um, but with rookies, it's a different ball game. I feel like so with T Higgins, like you, what it was, his, it's his second year. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a little bit more time, a uh, little bit more tape. Um, but he started doing that as a rookie as well. Now he's starting to put it together at the at the end of his, what, second year. Yeah, right. yeah. And so, Mitch, going going off of that, I mean, you mentioned the face planner. So a uh, uh, hat tip to DF being countered on that one. Uh, that is something that we, you know, subscribe to uh, here at TLG. But, um, Tarek, I think what this kind of comes down to is just not necessarily overreacting and selling too early. 
when your rookie wide receiver, uh, you know, has a slow start to their rookie year. Uh, we were laughing at each other back in like, you know, week two, week three, like who could overreact the hardest to, you know, Tyreek Hill's breakout week one or, you know, and, and just how much we were like overreacting to these like wild swings for those first couple of weeks, because it was like the first football action we had seen for months and months and months, you know, and I think we can capitalize that on dynasty players going into next season, you know, like we know that we're going to be uh, going into the grind of like a full off season here for the next seven plus months. And uh, let's remember that when it's, you know, the end of week two next year, like, Hey, this is actually a good time to start putting out feelers because, uh, Garrett Wilson had a, a down first two weeks and that manager is a contender and starting to panic. Right. So let's, uh, use that to our advantage going forward. Oh, definitely. All right, Mitch, uh, let's move on to your biggest hit of the 2021 season. Our biggest hits. It's our new album. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. Keenan Allen is my guy here. Um, and what I'm taking away from the process is don't kick somebody off the age cliff that isn't quite at the edge of that cliff yet. Um, yes, gaining value is great, but championships are better. And so Keenan Allen's talent is obvious, but I'll remind y'all, the last five years, including this year, he's been a top 15 fantasy wide receiver. Uh, he's currently sitting at wide receiver nine with only six touchdowns, and he's posting 16.4 points per game, making him 12 wide receiver 12 in points per game right now. Um, his situation, though, was better going into this year. Uh, going on year two with Justin Herbert. <laughs> going on year two with Justin Herbert, who just finished quarterback eight last year, and uh, he looked to improve upon that this year, and he definitely did. Uh, this season, I had Keenan Allen ranked at wide receiver 11 with the context attached. I have him on my short list of guys I think could be number one wide receiver overall. And yeah, sure, that situation was incredible, but like there were some unforeseen heroes enter Mike Williams. But now that the dust has settled, it looks like Herbie can support two top wide receivers and Keenan Allen actually has overtaken Mike Williams. Um, but that's definitely going to cap their potential. I no longer think that Mike Williams or obviously Keenan Allen will be a number one overall wide receiver, but both guys are soaking up those targets. So I think the floor has been risen a bit there too. But to me, all that sounds pretty obvious. Keenan Allen is good. His situation is good. Uh, but he turned 29 this year, and I think that's where the fade started to happen. And he turns 30 next year. So basically dead in dynasty years, right? And so um, I have him currently uh, wide receiver 12, I believe. But you guys know where Keep Trade Cut has him ranked? Ooh, uh, I'll go ahead and, and venture a guess. I'll say 24. Yeah, I was going to say 23. Uh, well, it is wide receiver 24. Wow. Oh, wow. On the money. <laughs> I on swear the... I did not look that up, Mitch. No, you're good. You're good. I, I put a spoiler tag on the on the show doc and everything. Yeah. yeah. Wide receiver 24. So what? Here we go again, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the reason I guess 24 is because, you know, he was pretty much consistently sitting at that like wide receiver 17, 18 for most of the year. And then now the season's kind of wrapped up. And I think everybody's going to start fading these older wide receivers, like he's like you said. So um Interesting that you called out Keenan Allen here. You could have picked a number of different near age cliff wide receivers to choose from. Cooper Cup, uh, Devontae Adams had incredible years for near, you know, 29 years old as well. Uh, so it's I, I think there's there is definitely value here. Um, you know, this ties into this ongoing conversation between me and Tarek around 
Uh, when do you target these older declining players? And is that really positive value for your lineup? Uh, he's not declining yet, which I think is your nope. point, right? So uh, get in while the getting's good. Um, I ended up trading for Keenan Allen, I think, in more than one place uh, this year. So um, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Mitch. Well, look, man, I'm not, I'm not taking the victory lap for Cooper Cup because uh, nobody should because nobody had him high enough. And so Keenan Allen, on the other hand, I, I had him right where he ought to have been, right? Like, I had him right where he is. And I still feel like he is exactly at that point. I still think he's a top 10, 15 wide receiver that is being undervalued just just like last year. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we're going to have this conversation again in the offseason. I think he's a buy again. And so, yeah, like I said, here we go again. I, I he, think he uh, sorry, Tarek, I'll just say I think when it gets to this point, I think it's one of those situations where just don't overcomplicate it like he is a screaming buy for contenders and a sell for rebuilders. Yeah, he he comps really well to Adam Thielen, I think, who's a couple years older than him, who had, you know, a couple years. They were touchdown dependent. Right. So I don't necessarily think Keenan Allen is going to be touchdown dependent. But the point is. They're players that are getting into their early 30s who are still really productive for fantasy, but their value is fading, right? So whereas Keenan Allen kind of, instead of touchdowns, he makes his hay kind of between the 20s, getting a bunch of catches, and he's probably going to still be really good at getting open in the middle of the field when he's 30 years old. Um, so I think this is he's going to be one of those players that, yeah, on existing teams, you can probably trade for him for a value, but especially in startups, He's probably going to be a screaming value. Like you, you're probably going to be able to get Keenan Allen in the seventh round, eighth round of a super flex startup this coming year. Um, and yeah, if you're trying to build a win now team from the first year of a startup, uh, kind of like what Corey did, the second place team in TLG, that's going to be a guy that you're probably going to want to draft in the eighth round. Right. Yeah. And if you take a look at somebody's team, right, like that, that, it's right now in that window of the offseason ending. If you take a look at somebody's team that has Keenan Allen and they're just coming off of a, a playoff run and they're looking to disassemble that squad, like, yeah, like Trey said, get in while the getting's good. I like it. I like it. Okay. That is going to do it for episode 38 of The Long Game. We talked about our biggest misses and our biggest hits from the 2021 season next week we are going to keep retrospecting we're going to talk about those reputation players that we chose way back in august we're going to do a little bit of a redux on those players so we will see you next week until then later guys Peace. goodbye